Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Welcome back, everyone, to the first episode of the year for Paddle and Finn. The Noob Show is breaking in to uh, 2023 with, uh, well, we're, we're, we're opening up. So uh, it's been a great uh, uh, holiday season for us here, uh, Paddle and Finn, but we have a ton of great stuff coming this year. Um, thanks to Brian for that awesome new intro uh, that he put together. Uh, you know, So we, we, we've, we're going to really try and up our content game this year. And uh, so I'm excited for all the different things that we have to show you guys and, um, you know, just make 20, uh, 2023 our best year yet. So again, thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, uh, I have to say it was nice to have a little bit of a break over the uh, holiday season there, um, but it definitely uh, is nice to get back and, you know, start talking fishing again. I'm kind of excited to hear uh, from the listeners uh, what you guys got uh, for Christmas or, you know, the, the new equipment or the, the things that you got to try out. Um, um, I got quite a few cool things. My brother-in-law made me an awesome net. Uh, so shout out to him for that. I'll, I'll definitely show you that to, uh, to you guys later. Um, but it, it's just been a, uh, interesting time. Now, uh, my co-host Susie is feeling a little under the weather to start the year off. So she's, uh, not going to join us for this episode. Uh, but we miss her and, um, excited to have her back as soon as possible. She's just feeling a little, uh, like I said, under the weather this evening. So, uh, without any further ado, I want to introduce tonight's guest. He has been on the Noob Show before and uh, has a ton of great knowledge. Um, he's been a guide on the Susquehanna River for quite a while, and uh, I, I've heard nothing but amazing things uh, about him. Uh, Jeff Little sings his praises, and that right there tells me all I need to know. Uh, but, uh, you know, you definitely check out the Facebook link at the bottom uh, to check out their content because uh, uh, these guys catch fish year round. Like, beautiful fish you know it's it's just crazy every uh, there's this constant posts of of uh tons of fish being caught and 
you know, as someone who struggles during the winter months to catch fish, you know, seeing the amount uh, and the quality of fish that these guys are putting up almost on a daily basis is just uh, super impressive. So uh, I haven't had the opportunity to get out with him yet, uh, but I am I'm really chomping at the bit to do that. So um, I'd just like to bring on uh, Chris Gorsuch from Real River Adventures. Welcome back, Chris. How you doing? Not too bad. Not too bad. Um, how about you? Doing very well. And I agree. It's kind of nice to get a break. You know, during the holidays, I kind of stopped fishing a couple of days before Christmas and really just, you know, rested my foot. I've got a stress fracture on my foot. And um, but as soon as the new year hit, I was itching really bad. I, I didn't get out to the second. Usually I'm out the first. And then I fished probably, I think it was three days in five days in three different states. Just really, 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 you know, energized to go for the year. And people ask me, you know, how long are you going to do this? It's like the day I wake up and I don't feel like getting in the boat will be the day I'll start to plan the end because I am every day, 200 plus days a year. I am so excited to be on the water. And, and when that when that passion dies, I'll look for something else. It's how I ended my uh, my engineering career and it's how I end my fishing career, if it ever does. Interesting. Interesting. And, and, um, you said you, you, you went to three different, uh, uh, bodies of water. Was that just to, to try things out or just, you know, you know uh, it's, it's, I, I won't use the word board, but I don't like to fish the same stuff all the time. And, you know, if you're a guide on a river, you have to have a home base, right? So it's just, and I, I'll, I will launch from multiple places, you know, it's tough to leave a good spot, but I'll, I'll try it. But when you're talking about this time of year, I've got so many fun spots that I really enjoy fishing. The Delaware is very important to me. I, I cut my teeth on it as a young adult and um, I learned it because it was only 30 minutes from my, from my house, you know, from 1985 to, you know, 2013, I think. So I spent a lot of time on that river. So usually I try to catch my first bass there um, and that happened. So it's happened to hit the Delaware. We, we launched out of a, out of a, a New Jersey launch about mid river and had a, just a, a fun, fun day, not high numbers, but a lot of good quality fish and some fun times with friends. And then, you know, got back to the Susquehanna of course, and you know, hit, hit the standard holes and it was, the river was high, uh, but fish were, fish were there and the river temperatures, they've really come up the last couple of weeks. So it's kind of cheating, you know, when you get into that into the forties in January, usually we're fishing mid, you know, mid thirties, maybe 36, 34, 35, you know, something along those lines, which I actually prefer. Um, I don't like it when it's below 35, although, you know, it's a challenge, but I would rather have it right at 35 to 38, much more than 40, because I just think they start to spread out more at that temperature. But Interesting. Got a chance to fish down on the Potomac, you know, enjoyed that went out with a buddy Floyd and just, just fun because I see these guys and I talk to them during the year, but we just don't have time to fish until my off season. So I do a lot of running around in January until the ice comes. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, I know uh, I, I actually got out to fish uh, on the second as well on the Susquehanna. And it, it was just luck because uh, uh, we had a lot of ice flow down here um, and it had dammed up at, at our, at the dam right below where I normally fish up until uh, the, I could see the edge of the ice flow, you know, right where I launch. And if it would have been up any further, I wouldn't have been able to launch. And I had to actually break through a little bit of uh, kind of crust with my paddle to get out where I did go out. Um, but the hole that I uh, usually go to this time of year was just north of where the ice kind of the whole ice flow was. So I was really uh, fortunate to be able to fish. And 
I really was surprised. I didn't realize that it was even there until I think maybe the 27th or 28th after, uh, you know, Christmas, um, I went down, I drove down to the river and I was uh, just going to check it out. And I was like, Holy cow, there's ice everywhere. So, yeah. uh, it's amazing. I, really- I think what happened that, that really blessed us on the Susquehanna uh, and the Juniata for that matter is we had that just before the cold got here, we got a big storm and it rose the river you know, quite a bit. And, you know, technology wise, you know, there's no real way to, to follow how much the river is going to, going to rise or fall during the nighttime. But when you have that much volume, no matter how cold those nights were, I think we had a a couple nights that were right down near zero Mm -hmm. and having that extra volume, even though the river, you know, froze in spots, it, it, it took, you know, because all that volume, it held the temperature. And then as it, as it, as it went down and the, sun came out and we got into into above the 30s we really really got dodged a bullet there no no and it warmed up quick now the water that i was fishing was on the colder side because we were just north of that ice flow i don't know i imagine that had something to do with it but we were just like 36 i think was what my yeah. uh that's how was that's doing. how it was for you know it, it it was prior to the to the holidays it was right around that 35 36 37 and then after the holidays, it, it, it held pretty tight there. And then I think that my Delaware temperature was right around 37 to 38. And then um, when I was on the Susquehanna, it was when you had all the ice flow. We had it was we hit the peak on Tuesday. It peaked in the Harrisburg area on Tuesday. So mm-hmm. I think we were closer to 38 at that time. But by that was Tuesday. But by Thursday and Friday, the temperatures were up into the four, low 40s. So. Mm. A little too high for me, but it's nice. It got it brought a lot of people out. Yeah, yeah, and then it makes it, uh, you know, not that um, thirty six is horrible on the water, but you know, you know, any warmth I can get, I'll take. But uh. yeah, the problem when you get into the forties, especially like anything even close to like forty four, forty five, and the river's dropping, you you start to, these fish start to disperse, and then they're, mm-hmm. they're not they're not held up. So now, you know, rather than a, you know, 90% of the fish being in, you know, that 5% of the water, it starts to go to 20, 25% of the water. And it's, you know, you could be off by 20 yards or not, not far enough out in the current because, you know, it's wintertime. You're thinking you want to fish really, really slow in the, in the slack water and come to find out those fish are, you know, are, have moved into the current because we've got these, you know, early springtime temperatures. So it's just, I would much rather have it steady. Give me right. 38, 39 degrees steady, you know, and I'm, I'm happy. Well, and that, and that brings up uh, kind of the whole point of why I really wanted to have you on the show tonight was uh, to, to really talk about uh, some of your strategies for locating um, bass in the wintertime. You know, uh, you hear about wintering holes and stuff like that. Uh, I've, Jeff Little talks a lot about that in his videos. And, um, you know, I'm fortunate enough to know where one or two in my area are is um, more through word of mouth than stumbling on, upon it on my own. But um, for those folks out there who maybe are are shy about asking for information or or just want to try and you know learn that process themselves can you like break down a little bit of uh kind of what you're looking for you mentioned um you know the the slower more uh kind of uh static water that's uh not high flow yeah so it's um there's a history here right so you mentioned you heard from word of mouth from places that were popular or well known and i think some of our problems today with people who, who have been going out, uh, they're they're looking at what they did, you know, for years and years and years, and hitting these, I'll call them community holes, 
and they're either producing or not producing, or they're producing fish, but not in the numbers that they're used to, which is really the general case. And a lot of these holes were, you know, the best, deepest, um, most protective areas, right? So, you know, I'll, I'll just pick on one location, which is Fort Hunter, still holding fish, um, still can catch fish there. But the days of 30 boats going and everybody catching between 50 to 100 bass in late November, December are, are just not there. I mean, not that you can't do it a time or two, but you're not going to be able to go up in the big pool where the water's most protected and smash those fish all day long. It just doesn't, it's just not there anymore. And part of it is, I believe, is, you know, because the resident fish have learned that they've got a new competitor in, in the water that eats just as much as they do. And, and they, and smallmouth bass, I don't think like to be overrun by other fish. I just, I've seen it in the shad season. I see it during shrimp stripper season. And now that we have the flatheads in the river, I'm seeing that it's changing our winter bite. So, you know, it's still a great winter hole. It just is full with more catfish than it was ever before. So you have to look in different spots. So, you know, I'm fishing shallower water than I've ever fished before in the winter. I'm still not fishing two feet by any means, but I, I fished enough three and a half to four foot holes and found, you know, piles of fish that to know that they're, they're not, they don't need to be in 10 foot of water for you to catch them in the wintertime. So Interesting. You're looking, you know, the old, what my grandfather taught me, you know, and, and especially in the springtime was, you know, being an, an all around outdoorsman. He, I don't think there was anything he didn't chase, but <laughs> we would always look where the ducks were, right? So look where the wood ducks are when the water is low, when the water's slow, you know, usually they're in the water, there's usually current, but there's not a lot of current. So if you get to a spot in the river in the springtime and you see these wood ducks start to, you know, skitter out of there, you know, that's going to tell you that that's one of those areas where they can, you know, hang around and, and, and forage and, you know, commune and everything else that they do, but they're not going to be in that fast water. So that, that is, that offers them safety. It offers them, you know, the kind of flow you're looking for. The other thing is, is on a cold, cold December day when you can't fish, you know, drive around and look and see where the ice is. Look and see where the ice forms, forms first. Look, you know, that's usually going to show you where the ice for, for, you know, forms first. That's going to show you the flow. It's going to show you where that, where those slower areas are. Um, and then, you know, having some kind of a depth tool, whether it's, a, you know, whether you're using your fishing rod or, you know, your, your paddle or if you have electronics hooked up, just being able to, to, um, to feel, you know, and understand where the water is. When it, if it drops behind a, a ledge and it goes from two to three feet or, you know, inches to four or five feet and it, pull, it pulls up behind it, you need to look around a little bit and say, okay, if this river comes up four feet, are these fish protected? So that's why a lot of our areas are on banks, behind islands, you know, on true large structures of, of rock, whether it's a ledge or just a giant boulder. And that's where, you know, the bass have congregated and that's where they go to in the wintertime. You know, bottom contour, bottom type is important. A lot of guys, you know, don't like mud, but I mean, I've, I've caught fish in mud. Um, but I would say generally it's, it's cobble. It's, you know, it's more of a harder bottom that you'll find some of these fish. But I don't, I don't steer away from mud or, or sand. I, I, I find them in, in both those things. The biggest piece is, is when the river rises, are the fish comfortable where they are can they can they stay there without burning energy to get to the next you know refuge area so the best areas tend to be the ones where no matter what the river does they can just tuck up to the bank or tuck up into behind an island or tuck someplace and stay safe and then as it drops which i believe is the hardest time to catch fish um, the rise is the easiest um, 
But when it starts to drop, then you got to figure out, you know, how far about out into the current seam or how far out behind this structure are the active fish going to be? Because you can be on fish, but if they're not active in the wintertime, you're not going to catch them. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. And and just uh, thinking about what you're saying there, like some of the places that you're talking about, like behind uh, ledges and stuff, is where I find a lot of fish in the summertime. So what differentiates that from the winter to the summer? Or your, uh, is it basically whether oh, they no. can hang out there if the winter, it, if it doesn't mean that your winter hole doesn't necessarily hold fish during the summer. Um, it just means that there's something else about that hole that keeps them there. So, gotcha. you know, it, it, they're, they're, they're there for, you know, three main reasons. One is, you know, they're there for comfort. You know, they want to be safe. They don't want to be, you know, they, want, they don't want to be endangered by other fish. They don't want to be endangered by flow. They don't want to be, be, you know, constantly bombarded by sticks and stuff floating by. So, you know, the turbidity of the water. They're there for forage, you know, there's a, there's a good, a good group of forage, you know, in the wintertime, there are some crayfish, there are some insects, but most of the forage in the wintertime is usually, you know, some form of a minnow, right? Um, fry of some sort of, or minnow, fry is probably the wrong word to use for the wintertime, but they, you know, they're, they're eating a lot of, you know, a lot of minnows. So you, you've got to, you've got to be kind of well-rounded and realize that, you know, the minnows, most of the minnows in our, in our river systems like colder water than the bass do. So they're, they'll, they'll move in pods all over the river where the smallmouth kind of stay in a, in a smaller group, you know, smaller grouping of area, you know, during the winter. So the best spots, you could find 10 spots that look good and they only fish behind two of them. And there's something unique about that spot. And that's really where the anglers come in. And paddlers have an advantage they don't really realize is that when you're, when you're floating on the water, you're feeling the eddies, you know, you eddied in, eddied out of things. You feel how the the, the water pushes you up against the rocks, how you can be down below a structure that's visible to you by, you know, 50, 60 yards. And all of a sudden the boat just eddies out into this mm -hmm. invisible eddy. And that's a, that's a, that's a great find, right? When you find that situation, you realize, okay, I'm in a secondary eddy way below what is, I can see it with my eyes from a structure standpoint, but it's like a pond in the middle of the river. And that those areas are the absolute best because most people don't find those spots. So it's, you know, you'll, you'll, you find that, you know, like when I was, when I had, my kids were younger and they would want to swim during the, the, the summertime, you know, we had a rule, you could swim, but if you found a cold spot in the river, you had to tell, you had to tell Pat, you know, tell, <laughs> tell your dad while you're, when you're swimming, you had to tell me where they were because I'd make a mental note. Okay. There's a spring there. And so that cold water in the summer is warm water in the winter. So sometimes you'll see, you know, ice form 
but there's always a spot off that bank that, that doesn't have the ice. So, you know, you've got the slack water, but why is that area, you know, down in that, why is that always the first part to, to lose its ice? So the first part to gain it, first part to lose it is kind of, you know, one of those games you play looking for, you know, different spots. Gotcha. And gotcha. A, kayak, a kayaker will learn sometimes quicker than you will in a big boat just by, you know, feeling how the boat's responding. They're lighter. They, they're more in tune with what the, what the river's doing. You're not fighting it. You're using it for yourself. And I think that's some of the advantages that people have when you're, you know, in a paddlecraft. I didn't, I didn't really think of that, but that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, just thinking off the top of my head, I know of quite a few different places where, you know, exactly what you're describing happens. You'll be coming down the, the current seam and then all of a sudden, you know, the boat will just catch and then you'll kind of spin a little bit and boom, you're just sitting there and yeah, not I mean, having you have, you have the flow on, on the surface, which definitely dictates some of the stuff that goes underneath. And then, of course, you have the flow that you don't feel unless you're a diver or something like that. But, you know, you have those laminate flows where, you know, you'll, you'll have spots that are very particular where the fish are going to hang and not have to burn a lot of energy some of the best videos you have these trout guys that have these underwater footage where you see the the, the trout in current not having any current at all and all it takes is like a turn of the fin or a little little movement of the tail and they'll slide from one soft spot to the next soft spot in seemingly you know current filled water so it's it's not so crazy that bass would do the same thing and walleye walleye are also I mean, this is a great time of year to catch walleye, my, pike, and muskie as well. So, you know, and then I, it's interesting that, uh, talking about that too. And you know, in those videos with the trout and stuff, sometimes that that spot can be so small that it you know holds just one fish. But as long right. as they kind of chill and out, in the winter we're looking for holes that hold multiple fish, right? So that's right. that is one of the things, right? But you know, generally the biggest, you know, we used to throw. Everybody wants to throw behind a rock in the summertime and in the springtime, we'd like to throw in front of the rock or alongside the rock, figuring that the biggest, most aggressive fish at that moment is going to be in the key location. So it's not going to wait for the bait to come flinging around. It's going to try to, to meet it where it possibly can. So, you know, a lot of guys will come in and they'll want to fish just behind the rock, but a lot of times those fish are in front of you. I'm sure you've caught that in the, in the summer or spring, not so much in the, in the, in the, in the um, wintertime, but all other times of the year. Uh, likewise, you know, everybody wants to throw behind directly behind a structure. They'll throw, you know, throw it where that key dead water isn't. A lot of times you'll find fish, but we'll come back over that spot when someone else has already fished it. Cause I'll know that 75 yards below where they were, or maybe where their boat were, it was sitting is really where the fish are, right? Oh my gosh, they're sitting right on top of the fish and they don't even realize it. So you'll come back a half hour later, even though a boat or two has fished it, you know, earlier in the day. And you'll just load up on them. And it's just one of those things where sometimes you get a bird's nest in your line and you're messing with your line and your jerk base is sitting out in no man's land. You get struck and you go, wait a minute, that isn't even where I was targeting. How did I get, how did I get hit out there? So, and there's times there's, you, you, you can see it. You can see if the wind's not blowing, you can see the bubble lines doing something different and creating this, this invisible pool, if you will, that's not really around structure, but is created by that structure as it tapers back up or does something different from the, from the, um, from the high water to the low water that really can, can pay off with some of these less known areas. No. And that, and that makes a lot of sense too. Uh, that, that was one of the things I've kind of learned from watching some of Jeff Little's videos. Um, he talks about when you're coming up on a structure, like a uh, boulders that are out of the water to not just go right up and fish right behind the boulders, but to start well behind it, work the bottom end of that pool 
And then, you know, where the everything where the current kind of tails out at the bottom exactly. and then work your way. And, and you know, kind of right behind the rocks is almost the last place you want to fish. Because yeah, I mean, it's obvious and there are fish there. And sometimes there's a bunch of fish there, especially the higher the water. But as that water breaks, they start to move. They're going, they're going looking for forage. They're going to drop back or drop over or slide. And it's just being able to, to, to find those fish. You know, the next thing is, is that, you know, you could be fishing on top of fish, but using the wrong bait. So, or not presenting it well because you didn't like the color. And, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, I get, I myself get hooked on a color of a bait and it'll take a lot to get me out. And I'll notice I'll switch to a color going, you know, this, this is a great color for this, you know, this crawl bait, crawfish color. And I'll throw it and I'll throw it six or seven times and not get a strike and go right back to my, you know, my, my favorite color. And I wonder myself, am I fishing this favorite color better than I was fishing the color I didn't have the confidence in. And so Jeff used, Jeff and I used to look, you know, joke around and you know, that I think he still has confidence base, but you know, we used to say, you say, well, Chris, what's your favorite color? It was, it's confidence. <laughs> you know, I, if I have confidence in something, I'm going to fish it better, whether it's a profile or a color or a lip structure on a crankbait or the way that it, that, that it wobbles, you know, catching gives you confidence. And once you have confidence in something, it, it's difficult to, to deviate too far from that when you're catching and being successful. Right. So I don't like to argue with fish. I don't speak your language very well, but you know, once, once what I'm doing is not working, I stop digging and go to something different. Right. Okay. And, and th that brings me into kind of, you know, another uh, uh, avenue I wanted to talk about, and that was kind of baits and, and the things that you have confidence in um, like uh, the bait that I've come to kind of rely on in the wintertime because it's kind of the only thing that has worked for me uh with any uh occurrence was a blade bait and you know that's just uh you know cast let it hit the bottom and then just pull up just you know until you feel it vibrate and let it die yeah. and pull up yeah. until you let and that's about the only thing you know that i have found that works with right. and that's frequency. probably my number three right for me that's probably my number three and mostly because of my river has changed right so I've always fished the Susquehanna fished since I was a kid and, and I've, but you know, I never got out here much in the wintertime because my home, you're, you're, you're going to drive, you might have bad weather. It might be a day where it's just not working. So you want to be able to come home. So why travel the extra difference distance if you don't have to? So the blade bait, um, which does work on the Susquehanna really works well on the Delaware because I have a lot more, lot more areas that are deeper. Like I like to work my blade baits in six to 12 foot of water, you know, when I'm on the river and there's just not a lot of those spots, especially post flatheads, that you can pick on the smallmouth, you know, and, and catch them in numbers in those areas. So there are a few spots that are still fishing very well with the blades, but I would say, you know, honestly, the blade is probably my number three. It's still a high on my list, but probably my number three. And um, I throw heavy. I rarely throw anything less than a half, and I will throw three quarters if I need to. And I do the same thing you do. Um, I try not to give it a big lift. I try to just, you know, a very, very subtle lift or I'm using the bait caster reel, a high speed reel, and I'll, I'll, I'll spin it once and let it stop. And then, you know, that'll bring it off the bottom and I'll let it fall. And so you want to feel the wiggle, but you notice that when you let it fall, you start to lose, you don't start to lose feel on the bait, right? And then mm -hmm. once you start it back up, you, you, you can, you, you feel the vibration. So it's weight, vibration, weight, vibration. If it hits bottom, you feel the clunk, right? So I tell people that when you're, when you're fishing, especially clients is when you stop feeling this, like, you know, you lift bottom, lift bottom, lift bottom. And that's a faster view of what's actually happening. But 
you know, you want to feel this on the lift. You want to feel it shaking. And then as it's going to the bottom, you want to feel that strike the bottom. And if you don't feel it strike the bottom, reel up as fast as you can because something causes bait not to hit bottom. And it's usually stuck in a fish's mouth. So a lot of times you don't, you know, you don't feel the strike until you go to lift again. And that's when that fish is on. And that's, that's the time. And why that works, I have no idea. Why they hit this vibrating bait like they do in the cold water, it blows my mind. But it works. You, uh, have, the, to be, the, you have to be willing to lose a few, though. I was going to say I, that that is one of the things that I've learned with that. And um, another thing, too, that and one of the reasons why I'm kind of looking for an alternative bait is because the the winter hole that I know of um, has a lot of vegetation. So I am constantly losing my vibration from it getting a leaf or yeah you know, and, and so I spend a lot of time cleaning off those treble hooks. Uh, right. and I, I'm sure that I'm wasting casts doing that. Well, this year it was really tough early on in the, in the late winter, late uh, fall, early winter, because this year the river was very low and we had a ton of grass vegetation. I'm sure you guys were inundated with it as well. I mean, it, usually it's a problem from like the Juniata down for a few miles and you can go someplace else and not have to deal with it for a couple of weeks. And then you can come back to those other spots or you can fish the East side versus the West. And it's not really as bad this year. It was everywhere. And some places were just, it was horrible. So throwing anything that touched the bottom for even a few seconds was tough. And then of course, as the, the cold weather comes, you get the die off and then it starts to float subsurface and oh, that's just terrible. But you know, you, you, you do have to just, Know that you're going to get one or two good casts out of every, you know, 10 you make, and you're going to have to live with it because that's just, you got to fish, right? But right. So my number two bait uh, this time of year would be, you know, a jerk bait, a suspended jerk bait. I mean, that's, you know, I love um, the suspended jerk bait bite. It's a simple bite. It's very easy to teach. Um, the hardest part about the jerk bait bite is finding the right size and the right color um, when the fish are really picky. But it's one of those baits where I tell people, I want you to throw it 10 times. We're going to throw it 10 times, which was going to be about, I mean, 10 times is probably close to 15 or 20 minutes for me, the way I fish it in the wintertime. And um, you got to be patient. And I try to take their mind off of what they're doing so they're not moving it too much. You know, whether you're throwing, you know, I, I throw a lot of different profiles. So I throw some big ones and some small ones. And I don't know if you can see that or not, but I throw a lot of different profiles. I don't throw a lot of different colors. I probably have. 30 colors, but I, I have four or five of my wintertime favorites and I don't deviate from them too much. I mean, there's some that are very bold. Um, I mean, the, one of the best colors through the years and it's no secret, you know, um, was something called hot steel. That was a great color. It had, you know, it was blue and orange and kind of like a yellowish color to it. Like almost a, and it just was an ugly God awful color, but the bass really liked it. <laughs> And then I, when the water's clear, I go to something that I can almost see through. You know, it's not clear, but it might be a pearl AU or a, you know, a chartreuse shad or something that, you know, I can see through. I love those ones that are like brown on the top, but clear through the side, kind of the dace looking things that just, you know, but. Have like some kind of ghost pattern to them. Almost. A ghost pattern is perfect, right? I mean, yes, a ghost minnow is, is, is a great color. And whether you're throwing green back ghost or brown ghost or you know, as you go, whatever you're throwing on those clear water days, and you know how clear our, our river gets, it's, it's really a plus. Um, the, the thing that people don't get or don't realize is it's the pause is important. 
you know, whether you go five seconds, eight seconds, 10 seconds, 12 seconds, 15, I fished with Jeff one day and the pause was ridiculously long. I couldn't even bring myself to do it. <laughs> I mean, I swear it was two minutes long and it felt like an eternity. And, you know, I had caught some real good fish before Jeff that day. And he's always kicking my butt when it comes to big fish. And I thought I had him and he had this God awful hundred and it might've been a 115 or a 120 size jerk bait. And it was cold. It was late December. It was brutally cold. It was windy. You couldn't feel your line. And I thought I got Jeff today because I've already got a 20 in, in my kayak and I got him. I got him today and it was getting late. You know, he loves that late late shift in the day and I don't really care too much for it at the time. And sure enough, you know, I'm, I'm where I can see the takeout. I finally got him where I want. <laughs> and doesn't he roll into a, a, a 20 and a half or 21 on this crazy big jerk bait, you know, just God awful. I'm throwing like a 78 or a, a, a 97 MR and he's got this bulky, ugly, and it just ugly worked. I mean, he's just ran at the end of the rate. He just had so much confidence that even though he wasn't cut, catching on it earlier, he just had the confidence and it paid off. I think he caught that fish and I thought we were over. And I think he caught another one, you know, 10 minutes later on. It's like, oh, I give up. But <laughs> confidence is so important to some of these baits. The other thing is, is getting the bait down to the right level. And you can do that a number of ways, right? You can throw a bait um, that you can put suspended dots on it. You can throw a bait with a deeper lip on it, a plus one lip. You can throw... Um, you just got to know how close you are to the bottom. And I like to be pretty close to the bottom when I'm fishing, especially in the winter. Uh, the fish don't usually on me, they don't usually rise very far to hit the bait. So I need to be, you know, within 12, maybe 18 inches at the most from the bottom. And if I can be on the bottom and not get hooked up, that's even better. Um, but, you know, I've been on the river sometimes where fluorocarbon was needed. I've been on a river where, you know, throwing just mono worked out great. I fished with a guy once at a time and he was throwing mono, uh, flu, like a six foot fluorocarbon leader on super line. And I never use super line for these hard baits. I just never do it. I don't like, I don't like the shock value. I feel like I'm moving the bait too much with it, but I had to literally take one of my rods and convert it while we were on the water because they wanted that six foot leader with that line to get the bait down where it needed to be. I didn't have any plus one, plus ones with me and I didn't have any suspended dots that I felt like confident enough to, to dial in at the time. And it was just that, that line combination. But I would say majority of the time I'm either throwing all fluoro on that setup or all mono. And I, I've learned I need to keep a, an extra uh, reel tucked in my bag that has the super line with the mono, with the, with the fluorocarbon. Gotcha. Gotcha. So that and is very important. And then, um, so general retrieve for the jerk bait is a couple of cranks to get it down to depth. And then that's where, and then your, so I don't even crank it. So what I do is I'll throw it out. I like to throw it out, you know, at about 30 to 45 degrees down river. So I'm usually, it'll be slack line for a water. Cause the river is different than fishing on a lake. Be slack line for a water and for, for a little bit. And then as it swings behind that boat is doing that swing, I'll just use the rod tip and I'll either, if I'm in shallow water, I'll jerk move my jerkman's where the rod tip's going up. And if it's deeper water, I'll make sure my rod tip's going down. And if I'm not really sure if I'm how close I am to the bottom, it might even be a sideways toss just to kind of give the bait. But sometimes it's just a, a, a little, little double pause. And sometimes I'm ripping it hard. Right. So it's, it's the, the warmer the weather, generally the harder the rips are and the more I'm, I'm moving it. Um, there are times when I'll reel and stop and jerk. And sometimes where I'll just leave that bait 
sweep. And, and if I catch fish, you know, on that sweep at 30 degrees, I'll just cut my 45 to, you know, 40. And if I start catching them on the 25 or catch them directly high behind the boat, a lot of times I'll just throw out 15 degrees. And so that, that just takes away from it. Or you'll notice that you're hitting something, you know, you could be hitting a ledge, the back backside of the ledge on a long cast. Well, I'll, I'll make a shorter cast. So I don't, I can be right in front of that ledge or where that, where that, that bat, those bass are sitting, but you're paying attention. What was I doing on that time? What was I, was it a long pause? So, you know, in my head, I'm going one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi. And I'm, when I'm fishing with clients, I'm not fishing. I'm counting for them in my head and trying to get them. Hey, would you like a cup of coffee? You know, did you watch that ball game last night? Oh, how terrible was the, the, the team play? And then, you know, they'll go to move the bait or they'll look at the they're talking to me and all of a sudden the rod will load up and that's, Oh, that's a little light bulb moment. It goes, Oh, I wasn't moving it much or I just got done twitching it and got hammered. And that's the kind of things that, that, you know, that once you get that light bulb moment with people, the jerk bait becomes their favorite, one of their favorite baits, but it's, it's got, it's a must have. No, and, and that's the, interesting. You, it's one of those baits where a jerk bait, you know, some days jerk bait is what they want and you can throw tubes and other soft plastics and I don't care what your favorites are and just not catch them, but you throw a jerk bait and get it. So you got to have it and you got to get comfortable with it. So, you know, you, you might as well just grin and bear it and get used to it. Now you can fish if you've got a big structure like an island, you know, tip or you've got a, you know, a, a submerged grass bed or a, or a ledge that breaks where there's fast water on either side, you can fish that in total slack water like you would on a lake. That takes a bit more skill set, in my opinion, and a lot more patience because your bait, you have to trust that your bait's doing what it's supposed to do while it's sitting out there in dead water. Because with the current, the bait's, you know, the bait's wobbling, it's doing things, and fish are coming up and looking at it, and sometimes they'll bump it, and even hit it where you go, how in the world did it hit the hit that bait and not, and not get the hooks? Yeah, a lot of times right. when that happens, they're not hitting, they're not hitting the the bait where the body is, they're hitting the bait where the nose is because the smallmouth really, if it's going to kill something, it's more like a dolphin where it, it, it'll hit it. It'll hit it first and stun it and then come back and get it. Um, I noticed from fly fishing that a lot of just by watching it, a lot of those bass will hit the front of the bait, you know, more than they'll hit the back of the bait. Now, if they're really sluggish, they will sneak up on it like a walleye and hit it from the back. But a lot of times when the bass hit the bait, they hit it, you know, more towards the top of the head of the bait. And, um, you know, that's sometimes when you get wrapped and go, how in the world? I can't even reach in my tackle bag and pull one of these things out of a protected box without getting the hooks into my glove. <laughs> how is this fish smashed at that hard and not be on there? So, you know, that's, and interesting. Uh, that, so I'm I'm thinking too of different water depths too. So like, so if you're in, you know, deeper than twelve, are you? more blade bait or, or uh, some bottom bait. Yeah. Then... If, I, if I'm in 12 foot, I just don't have the confidence that nothing I have, even my plus twos um, for the mega bass, oh, they're going to come up for that. That's just me. I don't have confidence. And I like to be in less than less than seven foot of water if I can. And I'll fish it all the way down to three and a half, four foot. And I'll just base my choice because I have multiple colors and four or five. I have jackals. I have Lucky Craft. I have the old Excaliburs that I really like. I have my Mega Bass, which is now my current favorite. But you know, and, and Shimano makes a new one out now that everybody seems to be you know gaga over. But it's just finding that bait that that has the size, the color, and the wobble they want, and then executing your 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 time for them. You know, but if I'm in seven or eight foot of water or nine, I'll put a plus one or a, a, a plus two on. You know, I would prefer a plus one and a suspended knot than a, than a, than a plus two because that that long look that long lip just creeps me out a little bit it makes you feel like 
it's not working the way I need to. And, um, you know, you'll be surprised some days how much current these fish are willing to be in or how down, how far down from the initial visual structure they are. I mean, I have a few holes where I'll catch them right up to the rocks or right up to the structure. And then I'll catch them again at like 75, 80 yards down, not feet, the yards. I mean, that's a wow. long, long distance. And, you know, other areas, you know, it's just sweeping too fast, but you can kind of feel this stuff when you're, once you're out there a while, you'll feel, you know, what's working, what doesn't work. Gotcha. And then of course, my favorite, you know, I used to be a hair jig guy. I love hair jig, but my favorite is some sort of a soft plastic. And I, I really like the, uh, the these chili willies. Now I'm sure there's a bunch of baits that work as well as this thing does. I think the main deal with this is, yeah, you got them. <laughs> I mean, the thing made the main deal is that tail is just so, so soft. It, it, it either wiggles when it's not supposed to, or wiggles more when other ones don't wiggle at all. I have no idea what turns them onto it, but it, over the last five years, it's been kind of my, my absolute, if I, if I'm, if it's at the end of the day and I want to be sexy and I want to fish blade baits or, or jerk baits and I can't get them, I'm putting on one of these for the last hour and I'm going to force myself to catch two or three fish just so I don't get skunked. Right. And my clients have, you know, they love to throw their favorite, you know, Ned rig. And, and I'm not saying they don't work. You know, we've had great days with, with the, the TRD bugs, great days with the hogs, great days with just the, the, the hula stick or the, the tickler or, you know, some kind of a Ned bomb or anything that works. But I mean, this thing has just, I've had guys that just said, I'm not throwing it. It looks stupid. I said, okay, don't throw it. And then their, their buddies who's are out and they say, um, do you want to throw one? And he goes, yeah, I'll throw it. And after the third, fourth fish, the guy goes, Hey, tie one of those on for me. Right. <laughs> those on. Um, we just had an experience like this the other day that I was fishing with a, with a buddy and his father and he just, he was getting bumped, but he just wasn't getting anything to commit. And uh, you know, some time had gone by and I said, Hey, do you mind if I try it? if I give you a chili willy and tie it on for you. And I bet within, you know, 20 minutes, he had two fish in the boat on the chili willy. So it was one of those things where it's not that they, they don't like tubes. I think they see a lot of them and it's not that they don't like the, uh, the, the TRDs and the Ned rigs because they do, because I throw this on a Ned rig, but it's just, I don't know what it is about this bait, but it's soft enough and it must move just enough or, but I mean, when I was with my, my buddy Floyd, I had fish on, and I did not feel them. I saw the line move and set the hook. And that happened to me two or three times where I'm trying to keep, you know, the wind was really bad that day, but the fish were either dumb enough or they liked to sing enough that they were holding on to it for four or five seconds to give, you know, this dummy a chance to, to, to realize, you know, as the wind's pushing my line and I can't feel, hey, you know, something's happening, it's not right. And I'd reel down and set the hook and sure enough, the fish was on there long enough you know, to keep it. So it's just one of those baits that seems to work. And, and, um, having heard you mention them quite a few times on your posts and videos and stuff um, that I picked them up. Um, but I, I, I don't know if, you know, some of the places that I fish, the hole that I fish regularly um, is deeper. It's um, 15, even 18 at spots. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know, are you generally working it the same way? Like I would work a Ned rig where I <coughs> cast it out, let it sink to the bottom and then just slowly drag it kind of counting rocks. Yeah. So um I have a video, but I can't really show you right now. So it depends. So what I'll do sometimes is I'll throw it into the heart of the of the opposite scene that I'm on, right? So usually when I set my boat up, I'm anchored or I'm spot locked or I've got my talons down. In the wintertime, boat control is so critical. You don't want that boat moving because, you know, you have to move that bait and know where it is at all times. And, and, I, and I, I'll say this. 
I don't want you moving it a foot at a time. This is not springtime. I want you to drag it versus hop it. But there'll be a time when you're, you know, you'll be doing this with your line. But I'm not really. I'm just, I'm allowing the current that's on that edge to sweep that bait down and kind of do something with it, right? So and I want to feel, okay, well, over that rock and I got hit. I want to find that rock again. So when I go over it, I know that my strike's going to be in the next few or five, four or five touches with it. Um, so some days I'm doing this with it. I'm not reeling. I'm not, I'm not picking up any line at all. I'm just, I'm just letting it, you know, casting, you know, casting down river, quartering down river, you know, just like I would with a jerk bait. And I'm just holding my rod tip, you know, at a decent angle high, but I want to feel it. I want to feel it go down through it. And other times I'll just leave it sit there and let the, let the, the current do everything it needs to do. Cause sometimes they need to come up on it and look at it and then eat it. Cause you, know, you watch sometimes you'll, You'll you'll leave it sit completely still. I'll reach over for a cup of coffee, and all of a sudden, my, my I, I get slammed, and it's like, wow, what what just happened? I wasn't even moving that bait. And other times, where I'll start to reel it in, and so I'm dragging it, and the fish comes, you know, halfway through my second turn of the handle and smashes it. So you kind of let the fish tell you what they want, but you know, a drag this time of year is probably better than a hop, you know, because a lot of times. They, they don't want to chase chase, but they, they do, you know, they, they feel it's getting away. They're going to eat it. But that, 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 that too much moving is goes, you know what? My food doesn't usually move like this and it might require me to burn more calories than I want to. So I'm not moving with it either, either. Right. So I would say a lot of times the colder the water is the slower I have to go with it. And a drag is easier to feel how much you're moving it. Like I tell people in the winter, do not move your soft plastic with the reel move your soft plastic with the, with the rod tip, right? So you don't want, it's not a, even if I'm throwing a swim bait, I mean, I'm, I'm crawling that thing with, you know, with barely moving the handle. A lot of these reels today, especially the high speed stuff is moving that bait 36 inches every time you make a revolution. So you think you've only moved it a little bit, but you've moved it out of the strike zone and the colder the water, the smaller the strike zone is. So if you hit that, you talked about your vegetation. You know, sometimes I remember going through what felt like a pine tree down there. It's like, ah, <laughs> they shake it loose. And as soon as it would go loose, it would hit bottom. And on the next lift or the next drag portion, I would get clocked. And I think I got six or seven fish in a row. And I would tell people, you just got to find whatever that is down there, that brush down there. And, you know, occasionally you'll lose a jig on it. But if you could hit that brush pile and get it over or hit that ledge that's so snaggy and then get it over it, a lot of times you know exactly where the bait is. And you know, the fish are right below that ledge. And they, they whack it. It could be a rock. It could be a log. You know, I hate the logs because they, they eat my hooks up pretty well. <laughs> you know, you just got to, you just got to, you know, hit it. Try now, it. and are you going heavier with that or, or lighter? Or um, I know, I know. I'll uh, tell like, you this much. I throw it as, as literally as, um, as light as you can go. I fish a little lighter than most people. Um, and they all tell me that I'm fishing too light, but I'll fish super light until I'm, until you know because i can get it through spots even though it takes me longer but it forces me to fish slow i can get it through spots that i want now if i throw it out there and it gets swept down river really quick i gotta go you know but i'm not opposed to throwing a 16th or a 332nd or 110th um probably my favorite weight is an eighth or a sixth you know in deep deep water but i've thrown 316 so i'll throw a quarter if i need to if the wind's dictating it what i don't want to do fish to do is when they pick it up I don't want them to feel the weight of, of the, of the head. Right. So I want them to be able to just with as little effort as possible, open their mouth and suck it in. Right. Cause they're really not hitting it. 
Usually what you're feeling is them sucking in it. Large mouth videos show this, right? The bait's way away from their mouth. They open it, create a vacuum and just suck the thing in. You're hitting it. You're feeling it hit their lips or the back of their throat. And that's what makes us set the hook. Or you're feeling it trying to spit it out because they felt something's not quite right. But um, it's, I'll throw as light as I possibly can so that I can work it slower. But if you're in 12 foot of water, you know, you're not going to be throwing 16th unless you're really, really good and you've got no wind, which is rare in the winter. Mm -hmm. You got to fish through some wind. You know, when people ask me where I'm going to launch from, like, you know, a week before the trip, I don't know. It depends on what the wind's doing that day. You know, if I'm going to pick the spots based on level and wind to let me uh, let me decide where I am. And if it's going to be raining and we're going to fish the rain, I'd really not rather run 10 miles to my first spot, right? Or super cold in the morning. So I'll pick a lot of different spots where the fishing's close to the ramp so we can get a few fish in the boat. And as the day warms up, we can go and, and do a little bit more traversing. Same thing with a kayak, right? I don't want to, I don't want to launch someplace in my first good spots four miles down river, right? If I can, I'd rather just launch. Or if I know my favorite spot's going to be out of the wind, I'm going to, I'm going to do that. And I'll, I'll put up with a Jeff little paddle. Jeff likes to paddle sometimes. Now he's got the, <laughs> now he's got the power behind him with that that new uh, new motor, right? But it's just one of these things where, uh, you know, I remember fishing with him sometimes. We would paddle for an hour before we got to the spot. It's like, dude, I'm not as I'm not as young as you are, nor as strong as you are. You're killing me. But you know, it's uh, it's I'll pick the spot that I can get to the holes that I you know my number one, two, three, four holes before I have to start to break down new water, right? So. I go to my confidence levels. Once I catch a few fish, if I'm confident there's plenty of fish there and the guys are acting cold, I'll try not to move too far. But if, if they're willing to take a run, I'm not opposed to going six, seven miles on a, on a cold day. Gotcha. Gotcha. And um, one of the things that you mentioned was one thing that we hadn't covered until that point, and, and that was that you usually try to anchor or you're not moving and letting the current move around you. That's yeah, a, I mean, that's a I've big thing. A it is a big thing. And, and so a lot of jet boat guys, a lot of bass guys, they want to use their trolling motor every place they go. And I get it, but I've actually sat on holes and I'll look down and I'm, I'm creating mud with my trolling motor, or I'm, I can see, I can hear the, the sand hitting my, you know, hitting the boat as you're, as you're spinning. I'm going, you know, if I'm trying to fish these fish below the boat or off to the side of the boat and I'm creating, you know, an uncomfortable situation for them, whether it's debris or sand or something like that, I, you know, I, I'll throw an anchor out. I'm not opposed, and I've, I've whether you know Jeff used to not like kayaks with with anchors, but I think he's changed his, his viewpoint because there's just sometimes when you want to anchor up so that you're just not. I'm not talking about anchoring up in strong current, right? I'm not talking about anchor up in high water where you know that your your boat's in the current and logs are going to climb. Your your you know be smart about it, but if your boat can be as motionless as possible, whether you're using a sticket or an anchor or you know, uh, uh, some kind of a, a talon type, you know, uh, anchor pin, or you're using, you know, your, your spot lock or using your leg over a rock, or, you know, you're, you're using your paddle to, to kind of stick you down or, or, or stick it pin or something like one of those lines, something to keep you where the only thing that's going to pull your line is you or a fish. So if the boat's pulling your line when it's really cold, I think it's a, I think it's a problem. I think you're, you know, some guys who have great feel can do it, but if you're not anchoring or you're not spot locking or you're not doing something to control the boat so that your clients can fish, I think you're missing a few fish and they're missing fish. So you and I could probably do it because we're on the water, you know, good Lord, 250 days a year. But the person that, you know, it's their first time fishing, you want to put everything in their favor 
and you want to make sure that boat control is as good as possible. And, you know, wind can push you in. So sometimes you pick a different side, even though it's not your favorite side to fish this hole from, but the wind is allowing you to do it. You know how the wind can sometimes set the kayak up in a certain position. It makes it perfect. Mm-hmm. And so, you, and the last thing you want to do is swing through an active hole, right? You don't want the craft to go through an active hole. You don't want to make noise if you don't, if you can avoid it. And I don't want to create a plume of mud or sand if I can avoid it. So if the fish are real shallow and I'm not really sure where they are, I'd rather throw an anchor a few times and slip the rope down or spot it down or hit my talon. The only problem with talons or, or any kind of those rods, those, they may not make noise when they hit, right? So I, I usually try to throw an anchor out. The wind's bad. I'll put the talon down to stop the boat from sliding or moving, you know, because of the wind's gusting and the boat and the tail of the boat's moving, it's walking. That, that You don't want that either. So I just try to keep the boat this time of year really, really, really still. I mean, painfully still. And, and and you talked about Jeff not lighting, liking anchors, but I I think you're right. I think his tune has changed because I know one of the videos I watched, he actually talks about using two anchors so that the front of the boat and the back of the boat are positioned. He, he was funny because, you know, years ago, and I'm talking a long time ago, and Jeff was a very, is a very powerful person. He's, he's a great runner. He's got great stamina. And he, he could just sit there and hold the, the kayak still where most people couldn't. Um, and he used to say that, you know, you know, Never throw the, the never throw an anchor out. And if you do, tie the other end to a certain part of a male anatomy so that you know you weren't you would know you weren't in strong enough current to do it. And uh, you know we used to chuckle about it, but you know he was I'll call it a purist and I like to tease him about it. But you know it, there was a time when it was manpower paddle only, no cut, no no. You could use a stick it pin, but you know you had to be you know when you did that you wanted to make sure you were in you know more of the slack water he would throw a leg over something or set the kayak up and he just felt the kayak the kayak was an extension of his body but not everybody can can do that stuff especially all day long like he could so you know i was always a big fan of making my own little anchors and you know just small things things that wouldn't hold in strong current but if if i needed help eddying out or or being close to where the fish were and keep the, the boat where i wanted it to the combination of a of an anchor of some sort and an anchor pin is usually my game. I mean, it just was. It's not, they're not always safe. You know, you can get a lot of trouble with it, but if you're smart about it and, you know, you're dressed properly and you're with a group of people when it's cold out, I mean, I never fish by myself when it's cold. If I fish by myself when it's cold, I, I usually bank fish and I hate to bank fish, so don't do it yeah. very often. I'm the same. I'm the same. And, uh, I was telling you before the show, I just got my dry suit back. Uh, I had the neck replaced, um, because it was way too tight and it was like choking me out. I felt like I could feel my heartbeat in my neck and <laughs> it almost was bad because I would be like, eh, it's not, it's warm enough that I don't need it. And it would cause me not to wear it because of that. But now, um, I, uh, I'll give a shout out to that, uh, company on a later show because, they were great to work with too, but uh, I got my dry suit back. The neck is amazing now, and I feel like it's going to be no problem to wear it. So I'm super psyched about that. But um, I, you, that's one thing definitely with this time of year is you, you do want to be safe. I know the first time I started using an anchor, one of the very first things I bought was a knife to attach right to my PFD. So that Absolutely. in the in the event of an emergency or even if you you know it gets sketchy, um, you can just boom cut the line and I know, use I use um. Um, an anchor cleat that has, it has no catch or no tie. I don't tie it. It's an anchor cleat that just is a jam cleat. And I, I buy them and they're, they're, they're made by a company that makes them for drift boats. So if I get in trouble, up it goes. And the other end of it has a little floaty on it. So I know I can come back and catch it with a hook or something like that later and try to salvage my line. 
um, and my anchor. But if a, if a, if a tree's coming or something like that, I can't get the anchor up in time. I don't like anything big riding up my, my line. I don't care how big your boat is. I don't want anything riding up my line. Not even a, you know, a few sticks are fine, but if it's, if it's bigger than, you know, that big around and especially none of these logs, I don't like to set up. And so a lot of guys will go, Oh, we can catch them right now. And the river's at, is at peak. It's at, you know, I'll say 10 foot of Harrisburg, which is really close to the action stage or at least the, the, the caution stage. But you got to be careful if there's stuff coming down river and you're going to set up on that, you know, you're not going to be inside. You're going to be outside fishing in. It, it can get dangerous if you're not have a, you know, an eye constantly on it, which makes the, you know, using the, the trolling motor on a spot lock a little better. But again, it's just, you know, I, I, you just got to be smart with when you use it and what you're using. And it's, there's no real wrong answer. Just, I don't want to be, I don't want to be thrown into the river. I've seen enough people over my time of fishing in cold water, try to climb back in a boat and they think they can do it. But even with a ladder and even with somebody on the boat, if you're in deeper water than you can reach bottom on, you're, you've got seconds to get back in that boat before you lose your energy. You're not going to die, but you're going to lose your energy and you're going to have to hang on to that boat or that structure until you can get someplace safe and get in the boat. So, you know, air temp can be brutal when the river temperature, the river doesn't have to be 36 degrees for you to, to, to have a problem in. That air temperature blowing, you know, 15, 20 miles per hour on a, on a cold morning, and even if the river's 39, 40 degrees, you're going to lose energy fast. And, and uh, I don't think people realize how fast your muscle will, will send fluid someplace else to protect your heart and protect your core and let your let your your legs be almost useless or your arms it just it happens and it happens so fast so yeah so uh, one of the things i i you know you I, we all have you know i like i like my fishing clothes and you know i started i won't say branding but i've instead of like throwing somebody else's stuff on that i'm paying 80 bucks for why not just get my own stuff and so over the last two years i really learned a lot about fabric and how tight the fabric is or how loose the fabric is, what its sun protection is, what its warmth percent, you know, percentage is. And so I just, I'm a big hoodie fan. I'm a big stay away from cotton. I mean, if you've got cotton and anything you're wearing this time of year, get rid of it. I don't care if it's a pair of gloves. If it's got cotton in it, it does not belong on your body if you're on the water, especially in the rain. Don't do it. I don't care how good your jackets are. I mean, we're using Sims gear, which I honestly believe is some of the best stuff I've ever put on. I mean, I've had jackets that were given to me that I stopped wearing because they just didn't work. Or I had to sell them back, send them back because they were, they were just weren't keeping me dry. And they were high end, real good name stuff that I paid a lot of money for or stuff that was given to me by the company to promote. And I just had to call them and say, listen, I can't promote this. It, it doesn't work where I am. It, it, I can't, I can't stay dry in it. And it's, it's just not working, but I've been really lucky with the SIM stuff for the last five years. And I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of good stuff out there, but I've tried so much stuff that works for a year or so and then starts to start to, to, to seep or, or uh, be subjected to water leakage. And it's just not, just not for me. But again, I like, I like, you know, these synthetic material, um, these synthetic wools, some of the wools and, and, and setting yourself up with, you know, a base layer and then a, and then a, then a thermal layer and then a hard shell, you know, and, and we all know, we all have our favorite hard shells, but just something to outer to block the wind, to keep your body temperature in, but not so much that when you overheat, it doesn't let it go. So just learning a lot about that when, when, when picking, but I have a lot of stuff that I, you know, people say, well, you sell those, those shirts. It's like, it's not really my, 
it's not really my mode, but if I order it the next time I order a couple, if you really want them, but I've just, I've removed all cotton from my, I mean, right, I mean, honestly, all cotton from everything. I don't wear any cotton socks. I don't wear any cotton underwear. I wear everything I wear is high synthetic and stuff that's going to breathe or hold heat in based on where it is on my body. So right down, nothing cotton. I know when I took my, uh, my paddling class and they talked about cold water paddling, they, the, the, the term was cotton kills. Cotton if kills. you remember that. Yeah. yeah so, and it does, I mean, it's just, it's comfortable material. It's very comfortable. It, it breathes, it, you know, it is very comfortable, but it has some attributes that are absolutely horrible. It, it, it collects moisture. It doesn't want to dry. Right. And, you know, it's just, it's just not, I mean, somewhere where you can get away with it a little bit. I mean, it's not going to kill you by any means and it will keep you cool. It's very comfortable. But I mean, if you have some of these, you know, polyester materials, these, these sun shirts, you could just splash yourself with your bottle of water or just dip your hand in the water. And all of a sudden you're cooling down and it's just understanding how the thread count, how, what the weight of it is and how to, how to manage it and, and keep the sun off you, you know, in the summertime and keep the, the heat inside you when it's, when it's wintertime is a, is a big plus. And, you know, not every, not everything's created equally. So it's good to have something that works. Cool. All right. Well, we're closing in on an hour here. So um, any other tips you can think of or, or um, things you would, you, you see customers doing regularly in the cold that, you know, is, you know, something common or, or sure. just. I'll, I'll bring up two, two things. Um, the first thing is, 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 and this is just something that makes sense. Focus, right? So if you're hungry, grab something to eat. If you're thirsty, drink something. If you're cold, go change your gloves out, go get warm, whatever you have to do on the boat. Because if you're not, if you're not focused into what's going on, you're going to miss a few of your fish. And the other thing is, you know, along those lines is you want to be focused because on a winter day, you may get a dozen opportunities. And if you fish clean, you'll land a dozen fish, which is hard to do some days. But if you're not focused or if you're not, you're going to miss those fish either on a hook set or being late or being out of position, having your rod too long. You just don't want to be focused on anything else when you're out there. If you can just, you know, focus on what you're doing, as long as it's not, you know, there's sometimes when I try to distract people on a jerkbait bike, but I don't want them to be thinking, I, I really want a cup of coffee. I really want a cup of coffee. Well, you just move that bait way too far. <laughs> or, you know, they cast out, make the perfect cast. And long before that bait even hit the bottom, they're reeling two times. It's like, well, you just made the perfect cast. And you just move that thing six foot off the bank just by moving it twice. It's like, stop, stop. <laughs> because they're thinking about, you know, or I'll say to them, where'd you catch that fish? I don't know. It's like, we mean you don't know. You, 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 where did you cast to? What was your casting point? I don't know. I said, so see that tree right there? Cast to that tree. And if you, if you just watch where your line is, if you're hitting it, then I want you to cast to that tree again because they're usually not alone. They're usually not by themselves. So, you know, that ability to focus, you know, if you've got stuff going on at work, you know, I'm not saying that fishing isn't a great thing, but the wintertime is really a time to go out and really be able to focus. It's not that it's not good medicine for you to be out on the water, but sometimes that's not the time of, that you can lose your concentration. And then the other thing is, is I recommend fishing with as many people as you possibly can. And you're going to learn something sometimes by the person who may not be the most per skilled person in a boat, someone who's willing to do something different um, and pay attention to what they're doing. But by fishing with different people, you don't get caught up in, you know, I have a friend of mine that throws spinnerbaits when it's a lot colder than I would even consider throwing spinnerbaits. And another friend who throws, crankbaits when i you know my my temperature for crankbaits is like 45 degrees and up 
I'm not throwing a crankbait at you know, 40 degrees or 38 degrees, and here he is catching fish on a crankbait. So it's not my cup of tea, and I'm not very good at it, but it's, it's, it opens up another way to catch these fish and understand, hey, they're in a lot more chase mode than I would have expected them to be in. So by going out with different people, you'll see some styles and some things that, that you'll just learn by, by fishing that, you know, you can learn alone, but it's just nice to have a different extra stick in the water, especially the winter, so that you can kind of, you know, you've got four kayaks out. It's good to have numbers in the, in the cold weather. And this guy's going to throw this and you, you touch base with him. You catch him. Yeah, I just got two on this bait. It's like, what is that? thing? That's the ugliest <laughs> bait I've ever seen in my life. But it's catching fish. So what about that bait's working? And then just being able to share information is really kind of one of the things to do this time of year. I mean, let's face it. Anybody can catch fish in the spring. And if you're not catching fish in the spring, in the summer, in the fall, you know, you pick up golf or something like that, because yeah. that's one of the easiest times in the world to catch it. If you really want to be a successful winter angler, you're going to have to open up your eyes to different things. And it's all about the learning. And there is no true skunk in the, in the wintertime. If you're going to go out when the weather is, you know, 28 degrees in the morning and deal with frozen eyelets and fish for these fish, you got to realize that there's going to be days where you're not going to struggle. And you'll, you'll, I, I have a, a little meme where there's a guy and he's got a butt on a plate. Like, you know, it literally got my rear end handed to me. And you'll see him, you'll see him a couple of times a year. I mean, I don't like it. It hurts my pride. And I like to catch fish. I mean, I like to get more than everybody else is catching. I like to, you know, feed my ego a little bit. But the, the bottom line is, is these fish will crush your ego. I mean, you could be your king one day and your pauper the next. So keep on going at it. Uh, if you have any questions, feel free to contact me. Um, I'm usually pretty good at getting back to people. I'm not going to give you, you know, coordinates to, to where to go to, but I'll be able to give you enough information to get you settled in. To me, this is not about booking trips that happens on its own. This is about helping people uh, catch fish and maybe learn something that we can share or, you know, just saying, Hey, that, that really does work. It doesn't just work for me, but it works for somebody else. A lot of people think that when you're, you're showing a bait up, right. That, that, that company's paying you money or giving you baits. I pay for these baits. The company is small enough where if I take baits for free, they're not going to be in business tomorrow. So I'm paying for these baits, right? I'm not saying they don't send me seconds, not saying I don't get perks, like, you know, some, some glam stuff, you know, some hats, but I'm paying for these baits. So if, if I'm fishing it, it works. And then the same with the, the gear you were talking about, you know, if, if you have gear that survives 200 days on the water, then that gear is probably pretty. Yeah, and I'm not, I'm solid. not saying that there isn't other stuff outside of the Sims market that doesn't work. Right. But I fished enough of it. I'm not going to name names because it's not, it's not the thing to do, but a lot of the stuff that you see that costs just as much, didn't work for me. Well, maybe it's because I'm in the Northeast. Maybe it's because I'm driving my, my jet boat 35 to 45 miles per hour in rain and it can't hold up to that stuff. I don't know. Even if the stuff says it's X not mile per hour gear and you know, it, it grows, right? So some of the stuff that I've gotten worked great for two years and all of a sudden it, and when it rained, it, it's, it's like I'm wearing a weight suit. You know, like I'm wearing, I'm doing some kind of stamina training because my suit weighs 6,000 pounds, you know, and then I get home and I'm soaked right through it. You know, even though I didn't feel it, even though the garments did what it was supposed to do and wick moisture away from me, I get home and I'm soaking wet. It's like, yeah, this is not going to work. This is just too dangerous. So I, I have not in five years. Um, I still have my original Sims jacket plus probably five or six others um, in different, you know, variety of thickness and, 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 you know, and cost but I have not had a piece of garment that I didn't, you know, I wore them out before they wore out by, by, by failing. So. Cool. Cool. Well, um, again, um, guys, make sure you go out and check out, um, 
uh, Chris's um, uh, Facebook page, Real River Adventures. That's real with R-E-E-L. Um, you can see the stream at the bottom of the um, feed, but I'll also put it in the show notes as well. Um, so definitely go out and check it out. If anything, just to follow and watch, uh, check out the fish catches because um, I'm telling you, it's it's almost a daily thing and uh, very yeah. impressive. But uh, <laughs> we've had a couple of good years for sure. And um, but Chris, thanks again, man, for coming on and and um, just you know you're always willing to share knowledge, and I, I love people like that because um, you know there's so many uh, you know people who are maybe you know uh, I'm not sure what the best word is, but they don't they don't feel like it's okay to reach out and ask and right. and it is it is okay. Um, like I said, if, if I have something I have to keep private, you know, I'm going to, right? But it, it, there's no reason why I can't set you in the right path if that's what you're looking for. And like I said, if you got, you know, hundreds of people that want to go out and there's only so many days, like we talked about earlier, it's, it's, I'd rather just at least give you something that you can work with or give you some advice that can help you catch fish. And Susie, I hope you start feeling better because this is not the time of year to not feel good and <laughs> you need to get out there and catch some of those, those fish before the real winter gets here. Well, Susie is just recovering from rotator cuff surgery too. So I, she's just, she's finally now, I think probably able to get out on the water, but it's probably even colder where she is. Uh, I, she's in the Midwest somewhere. So I'd rather have my knees operated on again than to, than to have shoulder stuff. That's just yeah. terrible. Shoulder yeah. and elbows are not good things for fish. So she, I know she's chomping at the bit to get back out there just because of that, but let alone, uh, you know, cause it's the start of the new season. So, but Susie, yes, we definitely wish you well. Um, and look forward to having you back next week, hopefully. But uh, Jeff, uh, Chris, uh, thanks again um, for coming on. And um, guys, I I'm hoping that uh, maybe in the future, um, Chris and I can get together and do some actual uh, content on the water. So uh, oh, we're going be, on to. be on the lookout for that. And um, I, I appreciate that uh, that offer. So I'm definitely super psyched to uh, to see what we can do with that too. So uh, thanks again, man. And um, anything else before we? Uh, Sign up. Have a great new year. And uh, guys, if you're catching stuff and you've learned something from this and it's working, I don't mind you sharing it. It's good for other people to see that, you know, it's not about promoting somebody's stuff that does or doesn't work. We've, if we're, if we're catching it on it, we're showing it. It's not like we're trying to put baits in fish's mouth. It's, you know, that doesn't get anybody anywhere. All right, Chris. Well, thank you so much. Um, guys, thanks for, again for tuning in. It's going to be a great 2023, and I uh, look forward to seeing what else we come up with, but we will catch you next time. Thank you. Thanks, man. Thanks for tuning in to another killer episode here on Paddle and Fin. Be sure to drop a five-star rating, a thumbs up, or smash that subscribe button on any platform you're listening in on. Be sure to check us out on Waypoint TV, waypointtv.com. Make sure you sign up for the Fantasy Kayak Fishing League at paddleandfin.com forward slash fantasy. You could support this show through Patreon, patreon.com forward slash paddleandfin. Don't forget to check out the website paddleandfin.com. Catch us on YouTube. If you got a question, comment, or want to see a future guest on the show, be sure to email us at paddleandfin at gmail.com. Shout out to our show supporters, Yak Gadget. You can check out all the fine kayak accessories at yakgadget.com. Pelican Professional. For all your cases, coolers, and lighting needs, go to pelican.com. Rocktown Adventures. 
your Midwest premier paddle sports destination, go to rocktownadventures.com. Eastport Marina, the beautiful destination on Dale Hollow Lake. If you're looking for lodging, kayaks, kayak accessories, or anything fishing related on the beautiful Dale Hollow Lake, go to eastport.info. Jigmasters Jigs. When in doubt, get the jig out. Go to jigmasters.com and fill your tackle boxes today.